Tonight, I'm going to talk to us about challenges, about the biggest challenges that we have in front of us, the ones that we don't have enough of in ourselves to bring to. So I want to invite you to take a moment in the, um, in the eve of that song to allow the Lord to bring those challenges, your own challenges, to mind. One of the biggest challenges facing Chapel Hill right now is church planting. We really believe that God has called us to go beyond our walls, to take the message of the gospel beyond us to those who don't yet know him. And I'm so grateful that it's a challenge that we're not carrying alone. This Presbytery of the Pacific Northwest has decided that there are two challenges that we're going to take on better together than individually. The first is taking the gospel around the world with, global, with um, world outreach. The second is taking the gospel more locally to our own communities through church planting. I'd say that those are really challenges that we don't quite have enough to bring to to accomplish on our own. Can I get an amen? So you, don't, you might not know this about me, but it is just not in my personality to be presented with a challenge that I don't, don't go do something about, okay? Uh, Tommy Allen has really amused me this week by introducing me to a Twitter feed called The Enya Dog. It's a spoof on all of the personality types that come out in the Enneagram. Don't care what you think about the Enneagram. If you've never heard of it before, I'm going to tell you enough to laugh with me, okay? So I'm a type three, which means on my worst day, I will run over all of you to get the task done, okay? On my best day, it means that I can bring to you the hope and the radiance of the glory of God, okay? So we threes, we are doers and we are eternal optimists. So when it comes to, imagine me, a driver, an achiever, hearing about church planting year over year over year over year and not doing anything about it. The Enneagram dog shows you what I look like. This is what a type three looks like when they can't do anything about what they're dealing with. That's me. That's me. I see it. I can't do anything. Okay. Here's what a type three feels like when they're motivated by their haters. There I go. I just rise on up. Oh, come on. Bring it on. So here's what I'm hoping to do tonight. I'm hoping to raise you up. I'm going to carry us up on the balloons of the challenge, and I'm going to call us to do something about this incredible challenge of taking the hope of the glory of God into all the world and into our own communities. So are you with me? Okay, you will be by the end of this. We are in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. This is um, the moment when the spies return from the promised land and give their report back. I love that Eugene Peterson calls this scene an emergency session. So you didn't know it, but you're here tonight for an emergency session. Let me bring you up to speed on what's happening in the story. So God has called a people to himself, the Israelites, the people that are supposed to let the whole world know who he is. But they've been trapped as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God has just revealed himself in crazy dramatic ways to everyone, has brought his people out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea and they've gone into the desert. Now, it would have only taken a matter of weeks to cross the desert, but God took them on the long route, gave them 40 years of spiritual boot camp in the desert. 
And this is why he intended for them that promised land. But let's just say that that land wasn't exactly move in ready, okay? So in order to tackle what was coming ahead of them, he needed 40 years with them to teach them to trust him, to trust him to provide, to trust him that he really is powerful, to trust him that he is their God. So day after day after day for 40 years, every day they saw the power of God and experienced his presence. So this moment in Numbers 13, they're on the brink of the promised land and we're about to see if they're ready for the challenge that's ahead of them. Here's what God says in Numbers 13, verse two. He says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. Now here's something. He's not just sending any men out to spy out the land. He's sending the chiefs and the leaders. He wants the people who've been through the 40-year boot camp. How many of you out there have at least 40 years track record of watching God at work? 40 years of watching God. Okay, hands raised. I don't qualify for the next job. You do, okay? So this is you coming back. Okay, in verse 27, the spies come back and they say, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and their cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this is an old story that sure is resonating here. And so I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would equip us for the challenges ahead. Let us be of good courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Last summer, last August, I um, worked together with a couple in our church to host a big gathering of people who live north of our county line. There was a couple who asked, hey, we're looking to start a life group. Could you send a mailing to everyone who lives near us? We'd love to have them over for a barbecue. I didn't know that that would be 147 families that all live north of our county line. I call them up. How many people exactly can you host? Well, if we do it in the summer, 200 on the field. Great, we're doing it. So I invite all these people. Now, if you're a small church person like I grew up, you're like 147 families. Oh my gosh, that's bigger than my church. We got a whole church right there. And because we were talking about beyond these walls, because it had been four years of hearing about church planning, I thought, huh, I wonder if that's a church plant. So I went in with this one question to this barbecue. What makes Port Orchard unique? That's what I asked the people at the barbecue. Now, I had in mind what I know of Port Orchard. So I've been coming here for 15 years. My godparents live in Port Orchard. And I thought that all of Washington State, East Coast will lovers, will, you'll love this. I thought all of Washington State looked like the curve in Highway 3 around Gorst, where the mountains meet the water, and there's these beautiful fishing villages, and everything is quaint and lovely. And Port Orchard, it really has a unique name. It's Port because it's the water. And it's Orchard because it has this beautiful land. It's a, it's a well-named place for the uniqueness of the city. So I take to this, the residents of this area, this question, what makes Port Orchard unique? No kidding. I went back to my actual notes from the barbecue. Here's what I heard. 
more homelessness, lower economics, opioid epidemic, broken homes, overcrowded schools, long, lonely driveways. Take this Enneagram 3. And I came back to Mark and I said, well, brother, I don't think that's a church plant. And I let it go. That report back was a lot like the report back of these 10 spies. They come back and they say, well, the land is great. They, they bring back one bunch of grapes that two grown men have to carry. They end up naming an entire valley after this bunch of grapes because it's so remarkable. But what do they harp on? The strong people, the strong cities, everything that they can't do. They can't see the gifts of God because they are so terrified at the challenges that lay ahead of them. There's three aspects that I want us to look at when we look at challenges, their challenge and our challenges. I want us to look at facts, faith, and action. Facts, faith, and action. The facts of the promised land was that the fruit was good and the people are strong. But there were two operating faiths that produced two very different action plans out of that. The majority people believed that they weren't strong enough to take it. So their action plan became flight. Let's go back to Egypt. The minority voice believed what God had said, that this is the land I am giving my people. And so they said, we are able to overcome it. That's what they believed. And so their action plan was fight. Come on, let's go up at once. We know with stress with the brain that there's a third option. And I'm going to give it to you because I'm going to challenge you to think about your own challenges. So we've got flight, fight, or freeze. There is another option where you just get stuck. But the results look a whole lot like flying. So fight, flight, or freeze. I want you to go ahead and think about um, your personal challenge again. Let that bubble up. And I want to invite you, take out a phone. You can use our connect cards in the pew in front of you. And I want you to jot down facts, faith, and action. Because I would love you to take the time with the Lord, with the challenge that you're facing, and say, what are the facts? What do I believe? And what does God want me to do with that because I believe that? Does that make sense? Okay, um, facts, faith, and action. Since most of the people here belong to our presbytery, I want to talk about the issue of church planting, the challenge of church planting. We've got the same facts. We heard them a lot today, and I know they're, they sound grim. We have churches dwindling in, in attendance. We have more pastors retiring than people in the pipeline. We're not making our presbytery askings. We don't have a residential seminary. With Seattle and Tacoma in our presbytery, we have one of the top 10 most unchurched and de-churched cities in America, and yet we are really underrepresented as the church in that area. Starting to feel like I did driving home from the Port Orchard barbecue. Okay, it's okay. Those are just the facts. But how do we see the facts? What we believe, our faith, will really impact what our action plan is according to those facts. Do you remember what the book of order says is the mission of the church? 
Book of order. We got a lot of it today. Here we go. Book of government, 1-3. The visible church is the church on earth established by Jesus, its Lord, for the gathering and perfecting of its saints and to fulfill his mission of reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling the world to himself. The mission of the visible church. Okay, I like this one even more. Okay, the local church, 4-3. It is the primary mission... It is the primary mission of the local church to evangelize, making disciples both at home and abroad, leading others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, providing for the nurture of that faith that all might worship the true God and grow in grace and in sanctification. Can we all agree that we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Oh, you guys are pretty good. I want, I want to we believe. So let me try it again. And I want to hear you say we believe. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior? We believe. Do we believe that we are members of his church established by Jesus? We believe. Do we believe that it is the primary mission of the church to evangelize, making disciples both at home and abroad? And abroad? We One more. Do we believe that the most important thing we do is lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We believe. Amen. Is your action plan reflecting what you believe? Does your church's action plan, is that an outworking of your faith, of what you believe? We've spied out the condition of the world. We know the facts. We know that the land is good and God loves the people. And we know that our enemies are strong. We believe that God has made each one of those people and has set us on a mission by his Holy Spirit to reconcile all of the world to himself. So now we just got to pick an action plan. You could choose to freeze. Say, those challenges, they're just too strong for me. And you've chosen long-term hospice care. Maybe short-term. You could choose, like the majority of the leaders with 40 years experience walking with God. That challenge ahead is too big for me. Let's let another generation take on evangelism and church planning. For us... We'll elect a leader who will lead us back into Egypt, who will take us into hospice care and keep everything just the way we're used to it being. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Not just for your own sake. You'll miss out on what God has for us on the other side. Don't do it for the sake of the generation that's still in your midst. Don't miss out. Or you could take the third action plan and go and fight. Join the minority voice, the two crazy spies who say, let us go up at once and take it for we are able to overcome it. I'm so grateful to be under Pastor Mark's leadership. He could be coasting out these last couple years and say, let's just wait for the next leaders. Instead, he's the one leading the charge and saying, let's go on up. 
Let's go figure it out. We'll go do it. We can overcome it. And because he's willing to do that, he's the one, you're the one who pushed me to go back to Port Orchard this May. This time I went back with a, with a pro, okay? I went back with my friend, Becky Lana, who's a, a church planner with Eco, and we, we went up with different questions this time. I went with the questions, are there spiritual hunger? Is there spiritual hunger? And are there people with kingdom imagination? Are there people with kingdom imagination? It blew me away how many conversations I had where the only answer to the end of that need was the Lord Jesus Christ. It blew me away how many people he let me meet, all of them for that week, particularly outside of the church, who already had a kingdom imagination for their town. They could see the redemptive work of God, even though they didn't know how to say that just yet. So after those three days, I came back and I said, well, what are, what are we going to do now about all the facts of Port Orchard? What are we going to do about the opioid epidemic, the homelessness, all the things, right? If my belief system, if my faith did not include Jesus, I would have started an educational campaign, opened a rehab center, right? Started a homeless ministry. Those are all good things. So don't get me wrong. But God has an action plan that is actually a lot more basic than all of that. And I had only, I've only recently remembered just how basic his plan is. After those three days, I started going in weekly on Thursdays. I went just at noon to pray. I invited four people. The first time we met, July 5th, 18 people came. All invited each other. It's great. Two weeks later, it was July 18th, and now we're up above 20 people getting together to pray for unity in the city, for unity in the churches and revival in the city. That day, the 18th, I was, I drove home and I got horribly sick. I vomited all night long. For the next seven weeks, I went in, I prayed at noon, I came home sick. Then on the ninth Thursday, September 6th, Ironically, after organizing a prayer walk, I was wearing my tennis shoes, walking in the parking lot, fell horribly, twisted, sprained my ankle, and it took the paramedics showing up before I woke up and realized that something spiritual was going on. So I called my friend Kelsey Burke. She's down at Fremont Pres in Sacramento. And I said, Kels, what have I missed? Outsider's perspective. I've missed something. What did I miss? She said, Meg, you've been treating it like you're church planning on neutral territory. You're not. There have been spiritual forces at work in that town long before you ever showed up. Furthermore, you've been acting like a spy. You think you're just going in and scoping things out. When you start praying with people... You latch, you, you just begin, what's the word I'm looking for? Launch. You launch a full frontal attack on the kingdom of darkness. So with that in mind, I reread Numbers 13, 1. See if you can pick up on what I missed. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Here's how I'll bring you there with me. When you send out a land surveyor, what are you intending to do? To build. 
When you send out a pack of spies, what are you planning to do? You're planning to attack. And when God sent his Israelites into the promised land, he knew they were moving into occupied territory. He didn't want them to come back and bring grapes and say, look at how great this is going to be. He wanted them to go and prepare for what kind of land they were going to have to clear. He was preparing his people for a fight. A fight to occupy the territory that he already claimed was his own. And they were going to have to go home and get ready. Who are we fighting when we go to plant churches? It's not the lost people. Okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. Please don't go in and pummel people who don't know Jesus with the gospel. I kind of got this funny image in my head of somebody with a giant stack of those old tracks, the four spiritual laws tracks, just going into Port Orchard and just like attacking people with them. And that's not what I mean by full frontal assault, okay? So when we go in, who are we fighting? Satan, right? We are fighting the evil one. So you thought it was going to be overwhelming to deal with an opioid addiction. Huh? You thought it was going to be a big deal to deal with homelessness? You thought it was going to be a big deal to deal with giants in the land? Your own challenges, you think those are overwhelming? I'll, get, I'll, I'll up the ante. At the root of all of those things is evil. It is evil itself that we are combating. And the call of the people of God is, let's go. So here's my report back from occupied territory. And I'm going to give it to you in the words of Joshua and Caleb. I want to give it to you in the posture. I want you to know that my personal posture at home is of Moses and Aaron. I've been laying on my face, worshiping God. I want you to know that I come in the posture of Joshua and Caleb in repentance. Repenting of my lack of love. Repenting of my lack of courage. And here are these words those men bring in that posture. They say in Numbers 14, verse 7. The land which we passed through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. In Hebrew, it's exceedingly, exceedingly, exceedingly good. The land is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. There is a literal land that they were looking at. There were people to overthrow, a place to conquer, a place to establish an earthly kingdom. Our God has gone before us and established a heavenly kingdom. And so we pray that kingdom that's been established, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see it come. I'm going. The kingdom of heaven, it's not going to be brought into fruition by taking land and fighting people. The kingdom of heaven is not established by fighting against flesh and blood, but against what? Against rulers against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. 
Y'all, the challenge has not changed. We are still looking to push the reign and the rule of God from our families and homes into our cities and into the world. The cosmic challenge is exactly the same. The facts are the same. The people are good. The land is good. Our enemy is strong. But something big has changed because Jesus has conquered the kingdom of darkness. And so we have no need to fear what we are up against. We believe he has commissioned us, commissioned us to reconcile the world to himself, to make disciples. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and I want in. So what are we going to do? Are we going to freeze? Are we going to flight? Or are we going to fight? We've got to remember what we already believe. Our mission is to evangelize. We have to remember that we have been sent as Christ has been sent to seek and to save the lost. So strap on your armor, fight the right enemy, Satan, not your people. Get your attack plans in order. That's our next step. Chapel Hill needs to go back and say, here's the report back. We've got a We've got a mission field of people who need the gospel of Jesus. What's our attack plan? What are we going to do? That's our next step. So here's your next step. You need to go home and come up with a battle plan. Step one, you better pray. You're you're already battling once you start to pray. If you want to pray with us for Port Orchard, join us. Thursdays at 1010, we pray because Jesus has come that we might have life and life abundantly. So you can join me in praying for Port Orchard that way if you want. Thursdays at 10.10. You need to raise up people in your church who will go out as spies and in the full frontal assault of the mission of the kingdom. You need to look at the people who are around you and ask, who is the spirit gifting to go as church planners and as missionaries? They need to come from your house too. And honestly, we need money. We have a plan to execute We're going to have a plan to execute church planning. And our presbytery has asked that our churches give 1% of their annual budget to the work of church planting. We are waging a full frontal war on the kingdom of darkness. And no family can be left out. We all are enlisted in this fight. When Larry and I, you know, I'm a fist pumper, obviously, right? When Larry and I talked about church planning, I'm like, are you in? You know, I actually think I'm pretty sure I did this motion. He said, I'm in, but he, but he's crying. And it was because he was, he told me, he said, I'm counting the cost. And here's the great, here's the great gift to us. Jesus knew what the assault on the kingdom of darkness would cost. And so on the night before he went to die on the cross to do away with death and evil once and for all, he sweat blood at the prospect of the cost of fighting the kingdom of darkness. So I know that our God knows when we calculate cost, family, friends, homes, money, career, he knows he's counted it before. And on that night that he counted the cost, he still sat with his friends at the dinner table and he wanted them to know, he wants us to know, to experience, to taste and touch and smell that he has counted the cost. 
And so at that meal, that night before he paid the ultimate price for our sins on the cross to defeat the kingdom of darkness, it was at that dinner that he took bread and he took it and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, look, my followers, my friends, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper was over, he took the cup, poured out the wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. And now we, ministering on behalf of Jesus, offer to you bread and juice that they might be for you the body and blood of Christ and that in the partaking of them you might find nourishment, courage for your soul.